want to be talking to you about, about prophecy because it's a very important issue right now, subject. Uh, as you know, about five, six years ago, I told you keep your eye on Syria. How many of you remember me saying that? Keep your eye on Syria. That was when Egypt was involved and, and Libya and, uh, and Iraq and a lot of these other countries were involved with uh, revolutions and, <clears throat> and things like this happening. And Syria was also involved, but Syria was the, was the main player, not the main player, but it was the one that we had to keep our own because it is in Bible prophecy. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to you a little bit, starting in the book of Revelation, just going through it very briefly. I'm not going to go into detail here until I get to Revelation chapter 6. In fact, it won't take me about five, five minutes to go through the first five chapters very quickly in Revelation, then get, I'm going to get in chapter 6. And I'm going to show you what's coming down the pike to us. Now, the next major thing that is going to happen in the spiritual sense is the coming of the Lord. The Bible talks about that. The apostles knew that. When the apostles began to write the epistles and they began to teach the early church, they said, Jesus went away and Jesus is coming back. Just as he said he'd go away, he's coming back again. So they began to look for the Lord's return. They said, we, nobody knows the day or the hour. Uh, nobody knows when he's coming back, but we know he's coming back. So that's the next major spiritual thing that is to happen according to Bible prophecy and so forth. So we know the Lord's coming is very near. Jesus said, though, that there would be signs of the end time, things that we can look for, things that will begin to happen. And when you see these things begin to happen, then look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And what we are beginning to see now are signs to let us know that the coming of the Lord is, 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 coming, is coming soon. And I want to just say this to all of us here today, that we need to be ready to go to meet the Lord. Amen. Jesus will come back. Just because he has not come for 2,000 years doesn't mean he's not coming back. He is coming back because he will keep his word. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away. My words will never pass away. And the Bible says a day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. In Hosea 6, 2, uh, he said that after two days, he would revive Israel, which means that he's turned back to Israel after the church has been taken up. And so we know that it's now the year 2018. So we know that we're in that ballpark because of the calendar system and it's being sort of uh, messed up or men trying to figure it all out and tinkering with it over the years. Uh, we don't exactly know where our time clock is in harmony with God's time clock. But we do know that it's getting close to the time of the coming of the Lord. So I say this to all of us here today, that I do believe that the Lord's coming is soon. It doesn't mean we just sit down and wait for his coming. Because the Bible says, work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. And so we have an opportunity now to reach others and to help them to come to the Lord and find God. But the hour will come, will come in which all these things that the Bible has spoken of will begin to come to pass. And uh, I'm going to start with the uh, book of Revelation here just briefly, and uh, and then I'm going to get into a few things here and move over probably into Daniel some, because Daniel is where a lot of this information about uh, Syria and the Middle East and these other uh, empires and so forth, where, where, they, where they are and where we are in the light of all of that. 
So uh, with the help of the Lord here, I want, if you've got your Bibles, let me just briefly here base with you on a few things in the book of Revelation. The first chapter of the book of Revelation deals with the Lord appearing to John on the Isle of Patmos in the year of 96 AD, about the year of 96. And uh, he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. It was a time of persecution. John had been put there to uh, work hard labor, break up rocks or whatever it was. I think it was a salt salt place where they had broke up chunks of salt uh, for the civilization at that time. And John was under persecution. <coughs> Even though he was an old man, he was put there and he would work on that salt mine. And it was on the Lord's Day, which was which was Sunday. And the Lord appeared to him, and then the Lord began to reveal to John, uh, I'm going to reveal to you the things that are coming to pass on the earth, and they will begin to come to pass, and so forth. So uh, this is the first chapter of the book of Revelation. This is all brought out. Very wonderful chapter, good study. Uh, I could teach for two or three weeks just on that first chapter alone of the book of uh, Revelation. Uh, In that, we see the oneness of God. Jesus Christ being in Jesus, being the, the mighty God in Christ as well. Uh, when you get into chapters two and chapter three, it deals with what's called the seven churches of Asia. Uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, the, the, uh, Sardis, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, and then Laodicea at the end, seven of them. These were churches that John had established. And the Lord gave some instructions on these churches, where they were spiritually, what they needed to do to get straightened out and get leveled out. And he goes through that for the first for chapters 2 and chapter 3 in Revelation. Most Bible scholars agree that there's more involved than just those seven churches that existed back then. That it really represented the church age and how that in, it was a period of time. First, The first Ephesus being the first one. Uh, Smyrna being the third and so forth, that they were dealing with certain ages of the church age right on down until they got to the last one, which was Laodicea. The characteristic of the Laodicean church uh, is and was in the Bible is uh, that they would be lukewarm. And he said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be hot or cold. You all, most of you know that. Uh, I refer to it only because if it is the church age, as Bible scholars believe that it was, and referring to, then we are living in the Laodicean age today. This is why we must be careful that we do not become lukewarm in our Christianity. We have to stay on fire for God. We got to keep praying, keep going to church, being faithful, because everything in the world is conducive for us just to lay back and take it easy, work our jobs, be a good soccer mom if you're a mother, be a good father and provider if you're a father, and just coast and go to church when it's convenient and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And the Bible warns us against that, especially in the Laodicean uh, description here of what they say. And then finally you get into chapters 4 and 5. 4 and 5 are scenes in heaven. It's all about worshiping Jesus. And it's all about Jesus receiving the right to judge humanity. And uh, because it is going from that point on, starting in chapter 6, dealing with the God's judgments that's coming on the earth. In other words, for 2,000 years, God will have given the Gentile world and the Jewish world, has given the whole world an opportunity to be saved. 
In other words, they, in other words, what will you do with a man Christ Jesus? So Jesus Christ is presented to all of us. What will we do with him? We all have a lifetime to think about it, to study it, to read his word, to believe or not believe. And so God has given us a period of 2,000 years, generation after generation, in which we can choose what we will do with Jesus Christ. And then at the end of that period of time, of course, uh, there's going to be the judgment. Now, the rapture takes the place before all of these things begin to happen. And that's the point that we're bringing out. Why doesn't the book of Revelation mention the rapture? Because Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Son of Man, not even the angels of heaven. So nobody, only my Father in heaven, is what Jesus stated. And that's stated more than once. And so nobody will know when the Lord's coming. He did say, as it was in the day of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving and married, right up until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the floods came, just like that. And so it's going to be that way in the end time. So we know that as we see everything in harmony and peace walking along, it is a sign that the Lord's coming is at hand. Uh, there's another scripture where it says, as it was in the days of Lot. In fact, it's along in the same place. Jesus said these things himself. As it was in the days of Lot, uh, they were eating, drinking, marrying, until the very day that they went out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is two cities. I guess they were in Sodom. Uh, there were five cities altogether. They just, just suppose you were in just Sodom with them and everything. And the sun's coming up and the angel has said to Lot, you got to get out of this city because come daybreak, God is going to, he's going to send fire down from heaven. And so just, just before daybreak, you, maybe you got a caravan moving through the city on its way out into the desert to take uh, treasures to another part of the world and trade and bring some others back. And everyday thing going on, you know, just a harmony and harmonious thing. But the Lot and his wife and two daughters were fleeing, getting out of the city because of what God was going to do. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that because we see everything not going on so bad, we can easily think that the Lord's coming is not at hand. But the Lord warns us that it's such a time, that's when the Lord will come. Praise God. And so when you get into the uh, fourth and fifth chapters of the book of Revelation, and the rapture will have already taken place, and Jesus is given the right to judge humanity, God through Jesus Christ, because Jesus suffered, he came here, lived, he lived a perfect life, he suffered on Calvary, he was abused, and so forth. So as the man Christ Jesus, he has the right to judge humanity. So he takes the book of judgment out of the hand of him who sits on the throne. It's a symbolic figure. Uh, you say, well, there's two persons involved there. This is all symbolic, and it's describing Jesus as the lamb slain. You know, well, Jesus is not really in heaven going to look like a lamb slain. You know that. The Bible says that we do not yet know how we shall appear, but we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. Well, we're not going to look like slain lambs in heaven. You understand what I'm saying? But this is symbolic that this is Jesus Christ, and he is receiving the man Christ Jesus who was slain on Calvary. God didn't die. The man Christ Jesus died on Calvary. He was the sacrifice. And so it was the sacrifice of the man, of the lamb. And so the man Christ Jesus receives the right to send judgment, God through him, 
to send judgment upon the world. And it starts with a book and it has seven seals. Those seals are what they put those seals on books so that nobody opens the book unless a person has a right to do that and uh, so forth. And so Jesus had the right. So he begins to break the seal starting in chapter 6. And this is when the judgments and calamities begin to happen. Now, I want you to go with me to chapter 6 of Revelation very quickly here. And I'm going to get into a few things here to talk to you about this. And uh, if you look at verse 1 in chapter 6, and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts said, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Notice here there's no arrows, just a bow. And this represents peace, but it represents a false peace. The Bible says, When men cry, Peace, peace, then sudden destruction. Folks, when the rapture takes place, the coming of the Lord happens. Uh, there is going to be, uh, there's going to be an effort to say, hey, 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 everything's okay. We're all here, nobody ever, but everything's all right. We're going to be harmonious. And men will begin to say, let's just work on this, have peace and so forth. And then there will be a peace that will come on the earth after the rapture takes place. As though man doesn't need God, he can have his own peace. And this is what's going on in the world today. I'm going to talk to you a little bit further on here about this war thing that's going on over there or this missile strike. Because there is going to be a terrible war that's going to be fought. And I don't know how far away it is. It could be much closer than we think. But it begins to spell out here. So after the rapture, there's going to be a, a short period of peace on the earth. But it'll be a false peace. And then it goes on to say here, and it's called the white horse that begins to ride. Verse 3, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And I went out another horse that was red. <clears throat> and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now the word great here is, is very powerful because... Not just given to him a sword, but given to him a great sword. So this is a war that is going to take place here in this fourth, fourth verse. So almost immediately, a little peace, and then all of a sudden there's going to be a war. A big war that's going to be fought in the world. Before I go any further, let me just say this. With all the nuclear buildup that's in the world today... It, you don't have to be a genius to figure out that something is going to happen down the road somewhere. And when you've got the Bible that's talking about these things and predicting these things and telling us of the calamities that are coming, and they've been there, and man would say years ago, I don't know how that could ever happen, that so such a tragic thing in the world. And now they say, dear Lord, we can see exactly how it's going to be, you know. China has got the, uh, they got the atomic bomb. England's got it. France has got it. Russia's got it. Uh, Israel has it, the bomb. Uh, Iran is trying to get it. Uh, North Korea, they say they have it now or they're almost there or something. I don't know. Anyhow, you got all of these nations and some of them are, are quite rogue nations that are beginning to get this unusual power. The U.S., of course, has got it. Uh, unusual power that they're able to just devastate a, a big portion of the, of the world. 
So I'm just trying to say here, when you get all of this uh, power and then you get crossing of ideas and, uh, and you get people hot under the collar about things and things like this, uh, anything can happen. I'm not talking politics. You understand that? I'm just saying that what we saw happen this past week where Americans sent missiles into Syria, okay, it shows us that anything can happen anytime. And I understand that our president is trying to uh, is trying to keep an international law here, which is not to use poisonous gas, because that was established at the Geneva Conference many years ago, following World War One, because both 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 all enemy and friends alike agreed that the the civilization of the world could be wiped out or damaged greatly by using that. Let's don't even do that. We, we can use guns and bullets and, <laughs> and explosions, but we can't use, uh, you can't use poisonous gas. Well, anyhow, uh, some of the countries says, no, we're going to use it if we want to. And Assad, who is the president or the prime minister or a dictator, I guess we'd call it better, of, uh, of Syria, and his father was before him, this guy is ruthless. I can tell you that. I know his history. I've read all about it. He, when he became, came into power, he immediately had 10,000 people, in his own people killed because they weren't on his side in any way and so forth. And his father was just like him before him. So this guy is a, is a, is a, is a tyrant. I can tell you that he is. But a lot of people think, okay, that's serious problem. Why should we get involved? And so it goes on and on and on. And if you're a news hound, it's going to drive you crazy because it's just, they go on and on and on and on and on. If that's what you're going to follow, I advise you not to because it'll drive you crazy. But I am telling you that these things are coming down the pike. Now, let me read the next verse to you here. It says here in verse 4, There was given another horse red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and they that should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now, what follows the war? Look at verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third angel say, Come and see. And behold, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And this is a famine that will follow the war. Famine. And he says here, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. In other words, a famine will come on the earth following the war. And not only will people die from the war, but they'll die from famine. Not enough food to eat. And then it goes on to say, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. That represents the rich. Don't touch the rich yet. The rich can survive. It's always the poor that gets it first. You know well know that. And so the poor here are the ones that will suffer in the very beginning. And the rich, their time will come later. Then he says here in verse 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come, and a pale horse. And look how it describes him. And his name that sat on him was Death and Hell followed with him. And hell here could represent the grave or could be great. The grave is the place of the dead here. And, and death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And so when you get through chap- verses 8 of chapter 6, you're already in a very devastated condition here in the world. The world is here. And, uh, and then following that, verse 9 when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw in the other the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. 
And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, Lord, holy, and dost thou not judge them to avenge our blood? This is not talking about the church. When the church is raptured to be the dead and the of Christ, these are just dead. And these are people that when this all begins to happen, they are going to try to find God. Now, let me just say something, folks. This church and all churches after the rapture is going to be packed out sooner or later. People are going to go there and they're going to say, we missed the rapture. Oh, Lord, help us, save us, be with us. A lot of people are going to try to somehow or another get a hold of Jesus, get a hold of the Lord. And there will be some people that will give their life just simply because they said, I still believe Jesus will forth. And God will have some kind of reward for them, but it's not like that of the church. It's not the bride of Christ. To be saved today, we are in this dispensation. We're on this side of the rapture. To be saved today, you've got to repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. That is the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, incidentally. Jesus is the name. Be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. How do I know when I'm filled with the Holy Ghost? Speaking in other tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And it's spelled out in the scripture, all in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8. Uh, you can read those things and it's all spelled out and so forth. And then it gets into the, into the epistles, Acts chapter 12, you know, speaking in tongues and so forth. Once in a while, we'll have a message in tongues interpretation here in the church, as you well know. Uh, I say all of that to tell you here that these things are all of the Lord. And so this is what we have to have today. And if you want to be saved, if you want to be saved, don't put it off. Don't say, oh, well, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next week. Or I'll do that next year. I'll do that on my birthday, whatever it is. Uh, just say today is the day of salvation, you know. And I, I don't know what your spiritual status is. I'm assuming that most of us here today are, you know, is, is filled with the Holy Ghost and you've been baptized in Jesus' name. But if you're not, you're not there, don't waste time getting there because these things will come suddenly on the earth. They will come suddenly. And so God wants us to be ready to meet him when he comes. And then finally, there is uh, down in verse 12. And this, this, I'm still here in Revelation chapter 6, 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. This could be, uh, this could be an overcast of a nuclear cloud and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Uh, I'm not even speculating on it because how God does it or how it will be done, I don't know. But the Lord, praise the Lord, will be in control of all things. It does tell us that there's going to be things happen. First, man will act. And man is going to do some things and create destruction. And then there is going to be the result of man's destruction, such as famines and things of this nature that will come on the earth. And then there is going to be the convulsion of the earth itself, earthquakes, the tidal waves. The Bible talks about Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, then look up. And I will say this, that we're going to be hearing more about earthquakes. You might as well, you might as well get ready for it. We will be hearing more about more earthquakes. And I don't be surprised if you don't hear about some tsunamis, which are tidal waves. Uh, you know, we, they have a fear now that one may hit the, the east coast here of Florida one day. You know, it gets created out here and somewhere down here in the Atlantic and it starts building and it rolls and rolls and rolls. And finally it hits the, uh, hits the 
east coast here of Florida. Anybody knows where the east coast of Florida is? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to say here, you know, we don't know. East coast, it could be maybe New York, it may, but it could be Florida too, you know. So uh, I'm just trying to say here that all of these things are going to come to pass. And what I'm trying to say to you is don't be here when it happens. Be ready to go when Jesus comes. And that's that's where we are. Praise God. This is not something that we have to fear. The Lord said, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but of wisdom and sound mind, righteous and sound mind. So you and I, praise the Lord, we have to simply be ready to go when Jesus comes. And we know we don't know when it'll be. You can't play games with God. You, you can't outsmart him. You know, when I was a boy, I used to think, well, I'm going to live like I want to. And then when I get to be an old man, I'm going to turn and get saved. And then when I die, I'll be ready. I go to heaven. I had it all figured out. Well, I mean, the stupidest idea I guess you could ever thought about. I wouldn't, didn't have any guarantee I'd live to be an old man. And if I hadn't have found God, I may not even be alive today. Who knows, you know? It's just that we don't know those things. But I am just thank God that at age 16 that the Lord pushed my thinking aside and said, no, you better get saved now, and he brought me. And thank God for conviction. When God convicts you, thank God for that. Praise the Lord. It's like God saying, I love you and I want you to be saved. And I'm going to make you realize where you are and the danger you're in by making you feel guilty and ashamed and bad and, 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 and what we call conviction, you know. And it makes you want to come to an altar and say, Jesus, forgive me. And that's what it's intended to do so that we can be saved. Don't ever say, oh, I don't like, I don't like nobody missing. I don't, I don't be bothered or anything. I'm, I'm going to go out the back door. No, no, no. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me enough that you would send the spirit of grace upon me that I might repent of my sins, that I might turn unto you, that I may give my heart to you and be saved because he loves us enough that he would do that. Praise God. I mean, the grace of God is not only Calvary and the shedding of his blood, but it's also the fact that he extends his spirit to us to convict us of our sins. The grace of God is giving us the Holy Ghost so we can live above sin. We can live a life that is not always that sin of being pulled back down into the will of the flesh and so forth. And finally, it goes on to say here that in the sixth seal, there will be great earthquakes. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth. That's probably meteorites, you know, shooting Stars that we see sometimes a little bit of, there's going to be a great barrage of that one day that's going to hit the earth. And uh, even as a fig tree casts her on time to fix when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And it goes on to say in verse 17, and the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Do you see what I'm talking about, how the earth is going to have convulsions Islands and earthquakes and islands disappearing, mountains disappearing, and maybe some others cropping up someplace. Just things shaking up because the earth is beginning to revolt to all the sin that has taken place on the face of the earth from the beginning of time. And then there is also the heavens that begin to act. And of course, the, all these things will begin to come to pass. And notice here, you're only in chapter 6. And these things already begin to happen. And finally, in verse 14, it says, and the heavens departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. Every amount I read that one, verse 15, and the kings of the earth and the great men. Now, here is the, here is the oil and the wine. This is the rich. And the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bond and free man 
hid themselves in dens and in the rocks and in the mountains and said to the mountain and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne from, from the wrath of the lamb. And then here's what it says in verse 17. And this is why we know, we know here that we're in the tribulation period at this point. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says God has not appointed us to wrath. That's the church. He has not appointed us to wrath. That's why the rapture will take place before all of these things begin to happen. And these things begin to take place. And so here is a... uh, here is in the in that sixth chapter uh here is a fourth of the population of the world that's destroyed and killed and calamity begins to happen and you are into it and when you get over in chapter nine there's another great war that's spoken of there i won't even talk to you about that right now but it's devastating and another one-third of the world will die it says that they will die in that period of time. And when you, so when you get to chapter nine, half of the world population will have died. You say, Brother Myers, God is really bad. God's really mean. No, no. He is telling us what's coming down the pike. So when we see things like what we just saw happen, you know, what was it, night before last? You know, sitting missiles. And the reason for all of that is because the Syria is mentioned in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. And uh, it's about how that they are going to be a part of that end time and probably the Antichrist will come out of the country of Syria. Now, that would take me a long time to teach that. And I'm going to just get into a little of it here this morning over in the book of Daniel. And I'm, I'm going to leave the book of Revelation just here at chapter six alone. It's, there's so much more to talk about there. But I'm going to go to the book of Daniel because Daniel is where all of this began. If I can back up, if you'll allow me to back up. When Solomon was king of Israel a thousand years B.C., when he was the king of Israel, God was very displeased with what he did and, and uh, the way he lived his life and the way he let sin come into Israel. So the Lord said, I'm going to divide your kingdom, Solomon, when you die. It's going to be divided between your son being over Judah and your servant being the king over the northern part of Israel, and it will be called Israel. So whenever Solomon died, it was divided. And the southern kingdom was called Judah, the northern was called Israel. Uh, the northern kingdom, because they were sinful and, uh, and, and so forth, very much so, they did not want to go to the temple to worship because the temple was in Judah. So they began to worship idols and a golden calf and so forth. You know the story. And consequently, they began to have sin after sin after sin. And the Lord became very disgusted with both of these countries. Judah, however, would have a good king once in a while and they'd have a revival and get back on the right track. And uh, in 721 B.C., the Assyrians, Assyrians, not Syria, Assyrians, which is northern Iraq today, Mesopotamia is an old name for it. They come walking down, marching through there, and they conquered that northern kingdom, but they did not conquer Judah. Uh, The Lord allowed Judah to survive another hundred years. And then in 588 B.C., another king of Babylon had conquered the Assyrians, and he came over and conquered, uh, he came over and conquered Judah. And in 588 B.C., he destroyed the temple. Now, when he came over and conquered them, he took young men back to, to, back to Babylon with him to help him run his kingdom. He knew these Jewish, Jewish young men were smart, and he wanted them to learn the Chaldean language. 
and he would use them to learn to uh, to use them for wise men. And that was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You've heard of them. They call the three 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 Hebrew children and so forth. They were cast later in the in the fiery furnace, and they 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 come out. Daniel was when he was an old man was putting the lions in and so forth. We know the story there. But when they were young men, like 17, 18 years old, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign of Babylon, uh, this uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. Now I want you to go with me to Daniel chapter two for a moment. And uh, he had this dream, and he asked the wise men, tell me, what, tell me what this interpretation means. They said, tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. He said, no, you tell me the dream, and I'll know you know the interpretation. And they couldn't do it. And he was going to have them all killed. So Daniel went before the Lord and prayed, and he told the three other three uh, Hebrew uh, young men, he said, you pray with me. And so God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream, and not only that, but the dream itself. So he goes before the king. And he said, here's what you dreamed, and here's what it all means. This is all brought out in the second chapter. And this is in Nebuchadnezzar's second year of his reign. It's early on. And it was all about these empire nations that would rise and fall, rise and fall, while uh, while Israel continued to be a nation that would never be again totally independent of these Gentile powers. Now, Israel likes to think that they're independent today, but they're still very dependent on America. You well know that. They're very dependent on America. Uh, Israel has been up until Trump became president. He, they have been the only nation that recognized Jerusalem as their capital. All other nations in the world recognize only Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel. And uh, as the capital of Israel. Until this year, President Trump acknowledge that Jerusalem is the capital and they and America now stands with Israel that Jerusalem is the capital of of Israel I'm just telling you that Israel still relies on Gentile powers and Gentile connections to be sovereign and to be have any power whatsoever so from the very beginning way back there in in 606 BC starting in 606 and then finally in 588 uh, BC, they have always been subject to Gentile powers. I won't go into detail, but these powers have risen, they have fallen. And this is what God showed Daniel or showed Nebuchadnezzar and then showed Daniel. Now, I'm going to read these verses of scripture to you here. And uh, let me show you here what <clears throat> what uh, Daniel saw. I can use some uh, maps here and so forth. i got many things to talk to you about, but this is what he saw on the, and I need a focus here, automatic focus, I think is that one. There, everybody see that? All right. This is what he saw. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 34. This is what he said to him. Uh, in verse 31, thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose breastplate was excellent, stood before thee. It formed thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, and his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands and smote the image upon his feet that were of iron clay and break them to pieces. 
Then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken to pieces together, together, and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, and there was no place found for them. And the stone that smote the image upon became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then he goes on to, to tell him that there will be one kingdom after another. And he said to him, thou art the head of gold. This is the end of verse 38. He said, thou art the head of gold. You're the first one. Verse 39, after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. And then another third of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth uh, kingdom it shall be strong as iron and so forth. Uh, and then he goes on to say here down in verse 44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Now, uh, we know by other scriptures and prophets, especially chapter eight and chapter seven, chapter eight, who these kingdoms are and history of course bears it out very strongly and it's not, it's no big secret. But the, uh, the Babylonian was, was the head, was the Babylonian Empire. The silver was the media Persian Empire that followed that. The media Persian Empire today is Iran. That's the country of Iran. And they conquered then Babylon and everything around there, took over where they left off, including Israel. And then there was the Grecian Empire who conquered through Alexander the Great, who conquered the media Persian Empire <coughs> and ruled for a short time. And then it was divided into four parts, and uh, and after Alexander the Great and so forth. That's part of our study, and because Syria is part of that. And then, of course, Rome was the was the legs. And then it says that in the in the end time, it shall have feet of iron and clay mixed together. This was uh, silver. This was silver. This was brass. Notice how the inferiority of the metal it goes on down. This is iron. And then the feet is part iron and part clay, and then it has ten toes at the very end. And it goes on to say that this shall be at the very end of time. At the end of time, then a stone is cut out, without a, out of a mountain without hands, and it smites the image on the feet. And the whole thing is shattered together, and the wind blows it all away. And there's no more Gentile empires. This is the end of it. What we are in now, we are still in Gentile empires. We're still in that. And we're down here at the feet part of this, and we're nearing what is called Armageddon. Armageddon is when Jesus comes back with ten thousands of his saints, and he comes back in the nineteenth chapter of the book of Revelation, and uh, and he smites the Antichrist and he smites the, the wickedness of all that's on the face of the earth, and uh, and so forth, and sets up his kingdom on this earth, in which he will rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. Uh, I won't get into the detail on that, but this was all prophesied by Daniel, and every Jew who would study Daniel would know that the Jews were going to be subject to Gentile powers until Jesus came back again at that time. And so it has never changed. It's always been that way. This is why they did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. They wanted their Messiah to overthrow the Roman Empire. And it wasn't time. And it simply said that whenever he would come, he would set up his kingdom on this earth. When Jesus came, he set up his kingdom on this earth. That's why John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is at hand. He was referring here to Daniel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Be, be ready. That's why he started baptizing people. Get ready for the kingdom of God. When Jesus started preaching, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. 
The kingdom of God is likened unto this, 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 and this. And when he began to describe what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was likened unto, it wasn't like they were going to take over the Roman Empire and have soldiers and spears and helmets and all of that. There's none of that. It was like the, the kingdom of heaven is, is within you. It's within you. Praise God. The king, my kingdom is within you, he told them. And it would be like a sore went forth to sow and some fell on good ground, this ground, that ground, so forth. Or, you know, or it'd be like, uh, it'd be like leaven. Like, you know, it'd be in the, in the heart, in our hearts, inside of us. So anyhow, Jesus began to show that the kingdom of heaven was a spiritual empire on the earth. And that's what the church is today. Praise God. And that it would last and outlast all of the other. It would be set up in the days in that Roman Empire period of time. That's when Jesus came. That's what he brought was his kingdom. And that's what the church is, is. The church is the kingdom of God on earth. That's why that we cannot function without his spirit. Praise God. Now, all of these other things keep rocking along. And the prophecy in Daniel here begins to describe them. I'm going to read, finish reading here in Daniel chapter 2. And uh, <clears throat> look at 44. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. This is the kingdom of God now. Verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and then it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God have made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. And Nebuchadnezzar was so amazed that Daniel knew what he had dreamed, and he knew the interpretation that he made Daniel a great man. And he made, and, and then Daniel said, "Would you mind also uh, doing something for my th- three friend, friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego?" He said, "Yeah, I'll give them some high offices as well." So these four men became high officials in the kingdom of of Nebuchadnezzar because they could interpret this dream. Daniel never had any more dreams until the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation. I mean the book of Daniel, seventh chapter. And when he got that chapter, it was more about the same thing, only more detail to it. And it starts talking about some things that would come to pass in that period of time. Uh, Daniel was about 17 years old here. I'm just using that around figure, maybe 16, maybe 15, maybe 18. But he was around 17 years old in the second chapter of the book of Daniel. But when you get to the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel is probably around 65 years old. He's much older. Quite a, quite a few years had passed when he finally has this second vision, this second dream. And I'm telling you, and he has it after Nebuchadnezzar had already died and his grandson is on the throne and he's the king. And so I'm just trying to tell you here that the Lord then says, Daniel, Daniel, I'm going to show you some things now that's going to happen in the end time. And whatever it is, it's going to come to pass. And there's a lot of things coming down the pike. Now, I'm going to get into a little study on this starting next week and in, in everything. And this is where we talk about Syria. And because Syria is mentioned in here, I'm going to show you how it's mentioned and so forth. Because in Syria, Syria is a very key player. And uh, I'm just trying to say if things are brewing in the Middle East today, folks, that's going to be a fulfillment of some things that we read in the scriptures, not only in chapter 7, but in chapter 8 and also in chapter 11 of the book of Daniel and uh, these and some verses in between as well. But God, praise the Lord, has his hand on everything. 
And I tell you all of that so that you'll understand here that we need to be ready to meet the Lord when he comes. Jesus is coming back for his church, and he's coming soon. Don't play around with God. There's going to be some terrible and disastrous things that will come on the earth at the end time. But you and I, praise the Lord, God loves his people. We are not appointed unto his wrath, but he wants us to be saved. He wants us to go in the rapture. That's why he loves you. That's why he deals with you. And if you ever do something wrong and you get out of line, he deals with you about it. He doesn't let you get away with it because he loves you. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. He won't let you get He'll, he'll worry you to death. He'll bother you. He asked me. He asked me. If I did some little something, I didn't think that was a big deal, but I, it was wrong. You know, I did something. I, whatever. Guy overpaid me some money one time on a job. I didn't say a word about it. I just kept it. I thought, I worked pretty hard for that. That's okay. And the Lord said, no, no, no. That's not what you agreed to do. He did it by accident, you know. I mean, never know what I'm talking about. Boy, God dealt with me about it. Finally, I said, I woke up in the middle of the night. All right, God, I got the message. I heard it loud and clear. But tomorrow morning, first thing, I'll go make it right. And I did. But I'm just trying to say, God deals with us. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Because he loves us. Would you stand with me and let's just praise God together.